Coming to you from the lab where they talk about guns, gear, training, and everything in between. Here are your hosts, Mike and Big Key, and this is The Gun Experiment. How's it going, everybody, and welcome to The Gun Experiment. This week, Keith and I talk with the owner of Allegiance Defense Solutions and take an in-depth look at home defense preparations and training. I want to remind everyone that we release new content every Tuesday morning, so be sure to subscribe and share the show with friends. And as always, I cannot start the show without the big man across the table, my co-host, Big Keith is in the house. Keith, what's going on? Ah, oh, doing well. Had a good uh, had a good Fourth of July. How about you? Uh, it was good. I had a, a very low key Fourth of July. Um, nothing too crazy, but it was fun. Uh, a little swimming, yeah. little little barbecuing, and all that good goodness. But, yeah, uh, I heard, did. You want to want to real quick say what happened? Well, I was just going to say I did some foot activities, but uh, <laughs> no, uh, we were at a uh, a friend's house also, and. Uh, had an amazing uh, fireworks display that was like definitely felt like something that I would only see at like a professional <laughs> <laughs> place and uh, saw a car get blown up by uh, some Tannerite was, was pretty cool. That's cool. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Awesome. Good, good time. Nobody got hurt, luckily. Good, good. Everyone <laughs> left with all their fingers. Everybody left with all their fingers. That's awesome. I, uh, I went down and uh, started, it was you know, the weather up here was raining. It was, it was terrible. So just before it started raining, another guy was like, hey, let's uh, let's go shoot some clays. And I was like, let's go. I'm down. So. <laughs> That's cool. Got Speaking it. of rain, man, I, today my kids were like, you know, itching. I, I was actually a little tired this morning. <clears throat> I've been out of it all day. And I was kind of just like letting them chill in front of the TV for a bit. But I was like, I need to get these kids out of the house. So I was like, one more little show and we're out the door. And yeah. I was going to take them to the local park and go on a little uh, nature hike. Yep. And uh, I was like, we're going we're in for the long haul. We're going to do the whole shebang bang Yeah. And halfway through. Started pouring. Started pouring. And, you know, my son is, you know, he can... I can get him to man up. My daughter's a little princess. And she was like, <laughs> she wanted to be carried. I'm like, I'm not carrying your ass. I'm like, you yeah. are going to walk your way you out of this. You have to walk it. So you get to a point though where you get so wet and you're like, ah, whatever. Well, I was that way. They were they were not uh they were not feeling that same sentiment. They yeah, were they were yeah. not happy. But well, and then you, the second we got to the car, <laughs> stopped raining. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Yeah, it was really it's been the weather's been crazy up by yeah. us. But uh so anyway, man, obviously uh, I want to talk a little about the uh the shooting sports and when it comes to buying ammunition, you need to look for a product that is accurate, reliable, and if possible, reasonable in price. New Republic Ammunition from Target Sports USA checks all three of those boxes and comes in six popular calibers. Be sure to sign up for their Ammo Plus membership at targetsportsusa.com, which gets you 8% off all ammo purchases and makes you eligible for their truck giveaway in September, which reminds me, I really got to ask them if they have pictures of the truck. I want to yeah, we should just take a ride up too. It's not a bad drive. That's true. Yeah, and uh, we like those guys up there. Go say hello. Yeah, that'd be fun. Maybe grab some of that hot lips pizza. Yeah, that was <laughs> that stuff was good. <laughs> uh, if you're looking to support us, you can do us a favor. Obviously, make sure you're subscribed to the show, and then go on over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts and leave a five star review or a comment. And if you leave us a comment, obviously we will read it on the show. We love hearing from you guys. So we're going into today's interview. But before we do. Today's interview is brought to us by 4Patriots.com. 4Patriots provides long-lasting and delicious food options that are specifically designed to provide you and your loved ones with the sustenance you need when you need it most. Keith and I have put their food through taste testing. We like to think we're taste test experts. (laughs) I am, for sure. (laughs) And we were really impressed. It's delicious, nutritious, and comes in at a great 
value. Head to fourpatriots.com and make sure that when the time comes, your family is prepared for the worst. Also, be sure to get 10% off anything you order with our discount code, GUNEXPERIMENT10. And that's gonna bring us to today's interview. Today's guest had a dream of becoming a police officer at a young age, and it was able to successfully chase down that dream. After a long career and a myriad of roles, he would eventually retire and go on to start his own training company. To this day, he remains a student of his craft and is passionate about preparing good Americans to be self-reliant defenders. Please welcome David Acosta Jr. from Allegiance Defense Solutions. David, how are we doing? Good, sir. How are you? Very good. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate you guys having me. It's my pleasure. Of course. Uh, so I was looking through your website and, you know, anytime I can kind of look at different instructors and their modalities, it kind of gets me going a little bit. makes me uh, realize I'm not training as much as I should be, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> always comes, I always feel the same way. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's very interesting to see sort of, uh, you know, different people's, uh, modalities and the way they, they approach education. And, uh, and I love seeing people's backgrounds. So you grew up with the dream of becoming a police officer. Uh, how old were you when you knew the police work was your calling and, and what was it that drew you into that career? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, man, I, I used to say I was like eight or nine, uh, but my mom uh, corrected me on that uh, within the past year. And she was like, no, you used to say that back when you were like five. <laughs> and, uh, I'm like, when I was five. And she's like, that's all you ever talked about. And she gave me a specific example as to uh, one day when, she was driving me to uh, school. Uh, we were on the highway uh, on the way to school, and uh, I saw a police officer on the side of the road. You know, probably dealing with an accident or something. You know, I don't remember the exact thing, but um, you know, she said the lights and sirens were going, and I could see the policeman. And I was telling her like, "I'm going to be a policeman," kind of thing. <laughs> and she's like, "No." And my mother calls me uh, Davy, even still to, to this day. She calls <laughs> me Davy, um, but nonetheless, <clears throat> she's like, "No, Davy, you're going to be a doctor." And uh, she says that I blew a tantrum in, in the backseat of the car at the age of five, and, um, screaming, yelling, like blowing a gasket, saying, no, I want to be a policeman. I don't want to be a doctor. So um, it, it's all I remember ever wanting to really be, like deep down. Uh, obviously, everybody wants to be, you know, something wild and uh, dreamy. But the reality is, like, I, I always believed in, you know. Uh, uh, police officers can be wild and dreamy. They yeah. can be. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> they absolutely can be. I, I, listen, yeah. I, I agree, and I have to tell you, I had yeah. a I had a short stint in law enforcement, and uh, mine sort of came about a little later, like high school age, and uh, and you know I chased it down for a little bit, but I, I I thought it was the coolest thing ever. You know, it's like you're you're protecting people, and it's a really you're like a real life superhero, man. So it's well, cool. David's story is very similar. Yeah. Sort of cousin Butchie, who's been on the show before, very early on, he he want he was like David. He wanted to be a cop from the minute he could like talk. Yeah. Some just, some people just know it. So go ahead. I'm sorry, David. Yeah, no, that was, uh, that's since, I mean, she says it was back then. Uh, I knew it was I knew, from my childhood. I knew that like going through elementary school, middle school, high school, like everything I did as a kid kind of evolved around, uh, revolved around me. Um, you know, being a better protector, being a policeman, being a crime fighter in my head, that's what it was, right? Like I didn't, my understanding of what it was to be a cop is like, you go out and you fight bad guys, you find bad <laughs> dudes and, and you, you, uh, you know, you deter crime and uh, you, you fight bad guys, you know, Batman and, and Robin, all the other comic book hero, uh, heroes and characters. Uh, I was like, that's a way for me to do it for real. So, Well, that's uh, that's definitely uh, 
something that I think is, is a common thing. I do think some police officers feel that way from a very early age, but one of the things I've, I had read when I was doing some research about, uh, you know, about you before coming on the show, I had found an article somewhere along the way that you talked about over your policing career, you felt that victims, uh, and I'm going to quote it, outsource their protection. And uh, that phrase really resonated with me. And uh, I was hoping maybe you could expand on what exactly you mean by that. I mean, I feel like it's pretty self-explanatory, but I, you know, uh, without giving the full context of what I was reading, can, can you expand a little bit about what you meant by, by outsourcing, you know, your protection? For sure. Um, so when I first came out, it was coming out of law enforcement. Um, I was kind of one of those dudes that was against training up civilians. Okay. Um, just worried about like, you know, what, what I know and the guys that it's been passed to me from and the guys that are currently working and doing stuff. Like I got to be careful with what I'm teaching people and showing people. Cause what if this is used against one of my own uh, guys, so to say, right? Like another brother and sister in blue. And I quickly got out of that my mentality, uh, and realized like, um, like it, when, when I, when I honestly thought about it, right. It was like every victim that I encountered as a cop in one way, shape or form or another, essentially outsourced their ability to defend themselves and the ones that they're responsible for, right? Family, friends, etc. And it was like, man, like this should not be happening. And for Doesn't me, like I grew up, yeah. Um, and for me, like I grew up studying martial arts, like martial arts is just a, a way of life for me. It was something I was extremely drawn to and captivated by and uh, started at a very young age. And um, it was something that I didn't want to outsource personally um, for good reason. And it's like, man, like I would love to teach good Americans um, how to not outsource their ability to defend themselves than others. Like the lessons that I've learned, if I can, um, whether it's from my own experience, uh, like directly or indirectly inferred through things that I saw and had to deal with, uh, dealing with, you know, calls for service and uh, victims of serious violent attacks and whatnot. Like, how do I shorten the learning curve for everyone else? How do I make a, you know, good Americans more self-reliant in their ability to defend themselves and others? Um, and I don't define that as simply violent encounters. Like it's more than just that. Like most people think self-defense and they think self-defense as like it's me versus another dude um, doing some cool Kung Fu thing. And it's like, that's not like, that is not a holistic approach to self-defense. Like if we look back at frontier days, what was self-defense to them? Aside from just protecting them and their family from other two-legged, right, uh, species, like their ability to uh, obtain water, their ability to obtain um, food, their ability to regulate their body's core temperature so they don't, you know, reach hypothermia or hyperthermia, right? Like just, just being able like to basically survive you know, basic survival, like shelter, fire, water, food at its, at, at the, at the root of survival before anything else. Right. And having the balance of those things, like knowing how to do those things, um, on a broad scale, especially now in our, you know, first world with our first world problems, like, um, how self-reliant are you in those things, shelter, fire, water, food, the basic necessities of life, um, in, in conjunction with your, obviously your ability to defend yourselves and others in reference to violence specifically. So, I want to break down a couple things there. So first off, thank you for coming to the conclusion that good Americans should have this knowledge. <laughs> uh, good on you for changing your mind on it. 
we've done this show for quite a while now. We've had a lot of guests on. And the one thing that I have come to the conclusion is that when it comes to law enforcement, law enforcement officers, Mm -hmm. just like any walk of life, there are different brands of them, different brands of people, so to speak. And so what I mean by that is there are some that feel like, you know, this is for me, not for thee. There are some that are, they believe a gun is every American's right. There are some that believe that they should be super proficient with their firearms. There's some that only qualify every, you know, once or twice a year. And that's the only time they touch their gun. So when we talk about cops, there's this sort of like this um, umbrella that like, I think the average American is like, well, they're a cop. So that, you know, they, they must be this or that. And it's not so cut and dry, right? Like there's a lot of different, there's just like everyone else. It's just like everyone else. It's just like any, any gun owner. There's a, you know, there's an umbrella of gun owners too. And, and there's a common, you know, there's a, I I think a common misconception that most gun owners aren't, don't, aren't as well-trained as police officers and, you know, not always the case, not always the case, you know? And so the reason I say that is because I think that it is. In, I think that it is important that people be more self-sufficient. Uh, it's a big. Um, we strive for it. It's a big thing we strive for, and you know, I think that when we get to have people like yourself on the show, we see that uh, these skills, like you said, they're not so one-dimensional. Like everyone thinks about the gun, right? And so I'm going to give an example because I just mentioned that I was on a little walk with my kids today, and that you know, I could feel the wind changing, and I could, you know, I could see the clouds coming in, and my son's only six years old. But I started saying to him, so son, like, you know, what's happening right now is that we're, we're having a low pressure system come in. And I was like, when you're low, low is bad, right? So low is bad weather. And, you know, that's why you're having clouds. And like, of course, it was kind of over his head, but I started asking him little questions and he was kind of getting the moral of what I was, where I was going with it. But the reason Science. I, the, the reason why I do that kind of stuff is because I want him to be like a well-rounded, like well thought out human being. And it starts at a young age. I thought you just watched a lot right. of Bill Nye, the science guy when you were <laughs> And so, you know, uh, everything from, like you said, obtaining water, food, you know, we talked about um, Four Patriots earlier, like being prepared for things. And you that, didn't have an umbrella, did you? I did. No, it was, I was worried about <laughs> lightning. I didn't want to get struck by lightning. <laughs> um, I should have turned around earlier, by the way. That I, I was like, no, we're going to keep going. But um, anyway, so I do agree with what you're saying is like everyone kind of goes to the gun as sort of the preparedness, but there's right. all these other things. And we'll talk about that a little more later in the show, but I think it's awesome to hear you say that, that it's not just about that that martial arts part because there is so many more, so much more to being a well-prepared person. It was, and sort of a follow-up question to it, David, was why do you think some people don't take advantage of, you know, um, helping themselves be prepared for protecting their themselves, you know, especially, you know, I, I go to the Northeast. I, I, did you grow up in the Northeast or were you just a police officer? In yeah, Norway? no, for sure. Yeah. Born and raised in Northeast. So, so you know what we deal with up here. And do you think maybe like in the Northeast people don't do it because they're just, because they, they, they are fearful of the gun restrictions that are around here or, you know, what's, you know, what, what is the, what do you think is the driving force between peace be behind people not, wanting to be responsible for their own protection. Yeah. I, I think it's a, it's a first world problem. Number yep. one, yep. Uh, number two, like if we look at our nation where we are now compared to where we came from, we are absolutely a nation of consumers uh, as opposed to being a nation of producers. Right. When we talk about the civil, uh, the civilian population, the populace as a whole are just 
consumers, right? Like everything is at the touch of a button. Everything is convenient. Everything's accessible, right? Like we have buttons for everything and gadgets for this and gadgets for that. Um, nothing requires uh, old school, honest, hard work, right? Like our, our day-to-day and the goal of most people nowadays from a mental perspective, their mindset is how do I make my life easier, right? Like we run away from uh, difficulty, from hardship. Uh, people spend hundreds and thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to avoid hardship and difficulty. Um, and most of that is spent on, uh, you know, buying into a system that makes them completely reliant, again, on that system for, uh, you know, what they consider as a creature comfort. It's a, it's a fact, right? We live in the safest time ever to be a human, you know? I mean, there's still danger, but it's not even close to the kinds of dangers that have existed in the past. And I mean, I'm talking even in the past 50 years, you know, it's yeah. it's safer. And so I think people are just kind of like, I live in a safe, and, and for the most part, statistically, we do, you know, like you live in a pretty safe world. But I know for myself, I look at my children, I look at my wife and I say, I would never want something to go wrong and say, I didn't at least have some sort of ability to say, I tried my best. You know, if you, yeah. if, if you try to be prepared and, you know, we all have limitations, we all have the, there's time limitations, money limitations, but if you try your best and God forbid you fail, at least you can say, you know, I, I try to do something, but imagine if you try to do yeah. nothing and you fail and you have to live with yeah. that, that burden, you know? Regret is forever. Exactly. Yep. So kind of going back to your law enforcement career, while you were in that field, you held many positions, including, and I'm going to give a list here just to give the listeners some idea, <laughs> uh, patrol, low profile, investigation, low profile investigations. Sit back. It's not done. Narcotics and undercover work, federal task force, warrant task force, fugitive task force, academy instructor, and SWAT. And then within SWAT, there was a, a bunch of roles that you held there as well. And I'm sure I'm, I'm missing some, but <laughs> I think, think that that gives at least a good picture. If right. you had to choose one of those, and I'm going to hold you to it, what was your favorite role in your career? Oh man, that's tough. Well, there's a lot there. <laughs> uh, so tough because there's so many different things. Um, right. Like just to give it some context, doing the UC thing, um, it definitely helped make me the man that I am today, right? right? In many ways, as far as how I understand violence and how I understand danger, um, it's just different, right? Like most cops don't understand, like most cops are like, oh yeah, you know, like it was me and my partner, or I was by myself, but it's usually not for extended periods of time, right? Like you always have the radio accessible. You always have somebody coming at some point, somewhere, sometime, right? When you're doing the UC thing, especially like when you're dealing with one percenters, man, uh, on the Fed side, like dudes are facing serious time. Most of them are, you know, straight up killers. And it's like, you are all alone. Mm. Like, it's just you. Yeah. Um, you know, you're not wearing a wire. You're not making any. <laughs> it's not fancy, like the movies. Fa- no fancy. Like, it's <laughs> not like 21 Jump Street. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it is, it's just most, it, it's, it's so different than what most people were you sometimes like, were you sometimes, when you say you're all alone, were you sometimes literally like nobody knew where you were at that moment in time per se? No, not necessarily. Like there's, I mean, no, that, that's just completely unsafe, but not for extended periods of time. Um, but like, let's say I've got to go do a buy, 
Um, and it's with this dude who we're wanting for uh, on the Fed side for a Title Three investigation. Title Three is like a wiretap, and you've got to go inside of a you know six story high rise, and you're in a stairwell on the third or fourth floor. And you meet the dude and he brings a dude who brought another dude who's on the, the, the fourth floor stairwell. And the other guy is underneath him on the third floor. Like, you know, you're in a stairwell and the, the, the landing above you and the landing beneath you has his buddies. And, okay. and they all have weapons, right? Like, you're all alone, dude. Yeah. Like, it's up to you, your wit, your confidence, your ability to read the room and say the right things at the right time and do the right thing at the right time so that they are not suspect. Uh, as to who you really are, man. Like people, most, like most people can't fathom what that really is. I'm going to kind of go a, a little deep into this here. Um, so, and I'll get back to the original question at the end and we'll kind of wrap up with that. But so since you're talking about uh, the undercover work and obviously there's, I know there's some things you're not going to be able to talk about and anything that you can't, you can just say the no comment or we, we got to move on from that and that's fine. But this is more general stuff and stuff I've always wondered. So you watch movies, you watch, you know, documentaries, things like that. And Donnie Brasco. Yeah. It's actually the one I was thinking of. It's funny. You said that. Um, and the reason why that was the one I was thinking of is, you know, in that movie, they, they kind of portray him as like, he, he had to really go all in. Like he had to really go in, like become one of them to kind of, you know, make it plausible and, and, and make it real and not, you know, kind of blow his cover. So first off, is that, is that sort of realistic? The idea that you kind of have to become what it is that you're chasing after? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's levels to undercover work. There's like what some people would refer to as like deep cover where you are embedded into an organization. Like you, you are, you know, you have all the things you need to be, to be this fictitious character. You're on the, you're on the organizational chart. Yeah. Yeah. And there's guys that do that like for years, uh, you know, um, like you're like your Donnie Brasco kind of, Right. Uh, reference there. Right. right. And that like, was a true story. Like a so that's like, series. yeah, that was a true story. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of that was, oh, yeah. you know, was pretty true, pretty accurate. And oh, then yeah. the other part of that is, you know, obviously, you know, when you're in that deep, I think it actually happens in that movie. Uh, you know, what do guys do when they're in a situation where like, you know, they're deep, so deep on that organizational chart and they're asked to commit a serious crime. Ugh. How do, you know, what, what are the protocols put in place to protect officers in that situation. Yeah, man, I wouldn't be able to speak to that. Okay. I have not worked in, in that capacity. Okay. The guys that I, that I know that have, um, I wouldn't be able to speak to it. Okay. That's fine. And so kind of bringing this full circle. So you said that that sort of made you sort of, uh, part of who you are. And I'm sure every role that I mentioned has something, right? Like in other words, teaching the Academy, I'm sure there's a lot of there's something to that where you're training other people to be capable. Like there's probably a lot of benefits to that and a lot of intrinsic value in that. But of all those jobs, is there one that every day that you went to work doing that job, you were like, God, I love this. I love what I'm doing, you know? And there, and again, there may've been multiple, but is there one that really stands out of like, man, if I could go back, that was the one. I was going to say, if you could go back today, which, which would be the one? Yeah. So I was in a, a federal fugitive task force. Um, federally deputized with a literally a handful, like four of the dudes, just like same, like same mentality, same mindset, just like literally birds of a feather kind of thing. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, we, we literally got paid to do kidnappings and home invasions. Uh, <laughs> like I, 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 
that would have to have been like, I could, if I could do that for the next 30 years, <laughs> you know, I, I would, um, that was absolutely like literally think like imagine getting paid to do kidnappings and home invasions and carjackings and everything else you can imagine for really bad dudes. Like, right. Like, uh, murderers, rapists, drug traffickers, human traffickers, like you name it. Um, like the worst of the worst dudes, we would just work our names off of a list. That's cool. Like literally just yeah. crossing names off onto the next one, onto the next one, onto the next one. Um, it was uh, a high speed job. Um, and it was just constant training and we weren't training, uh, constant on the job training, if you will. And then it was just, I mean, it was just nonstop and it was a blast, like, yeah. um, an absolute ba- blast. And it had a lot of impact. So the, mm. the, the flip side of it was not only was it a blast, like we were actually making a dent. Yeah. Right? Like we were, we were, you're ripping dudes that are responsible for, for serious violent crimes and all sorts of other aspects of, you know, the criminal criminal uh, society. I had mentioned, you know, a short stint in law enforcement before I kind of moved on and uh, mine was in a correctional facility and a lot of that job I I did not like at all. Um, and But there was one particular uh, segment of what I did where I got to work a lot in a special housing unit where they were basically the worst of the worst. You know, they were locked up 23 hours a day and, um, and I, the reason I'm saying this is why I loved it was because of the guys I got to work with. Like it was a real tight knit group, like you mentioned. And uh, when you get sort of like-minded people and they weren't all, sometimes you get people cycled in that, you know, you kind of were like, I really don't want to work with this person. But for the most part, they were super tight. And when you get that group of guys or, or girls and it's camaraderie, a lot of camaraderie, it, it's a really good feeling. So I can imagine like that tight knit group that you had probably made it a big part of that impact on you. Huge. Like yeah. literally, you know, when I think about it, it's easy to, like to answer the question, that would absolutely be the job. Like the undercover work, that was a blast. Um, definitely different, um, just different work. You know, you're all alone versus having a group of dudes. And, uh, you know, Ernest Hemingway generally gets uh, attributed for this quote. It's like, there is no hunting like the hunting of man. But those men who have, uh, you know, but those who have hunted armed men long enough and liked it, never really care for anything else thereafter. Hmm. Uh, it's there's there's a an absolute truth to that. Hmm. So, given your time in New Haven, I I have to know who has the best pizza, Sally's, <laughs> Sally's, Sally's Bar, Zanelli's. Sally's. Zanelli's. I don't even Zanelli's. have to name anybody else. Nope, <laughs> Zanelli's. Okay. So, okay. You got Sally, Pepe's, Modern, Bar. Yep. Those are all good pizza. My favorite is Zanelli's on uh, on Worcester. Like, okay, so that's 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 where Sally's is too, right? Worcester. Sally's is on Worcester too. Yep. It's right up the street from uh, from Sally's. Okay. So you could so I'll yep. have to try them both it, when I go. One hundred percent. And let me know. Okay. Because I've 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 been known for converting people. And <laughs> and how about uh have you been to Louis Lunch? Birth of the hamburger? Oh, of course, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Is it, is it as, is it everything it's cracked up to be? I think it's incredible. Uh, it's just the way I like it. Yeah. They're on like white bread, right? Yep. Really? Yeah. And it, they, they, oh, I don't know. I mean, is it 1895, David? I think they claim is like when this started. I don't know. Yeah. But they, they OGs claim they're the, the birthplace uh, of the hamburger. Game. Yeah. The OGs of the burger game. They're, and they're, uh, for everybody who hasn't seen it before, they're cooked in like a weird like toaster oven, right? Or something like that. It's like wild the way they do it. Yeah. <laughs> and what's your what's your go-to order there uh I, like you only have so many options dude so you just you take it as they give it to you you don't have to catch up you don't take it for it like 
they make it just as is, and that's kind of the way you take it. Okay, got it. And and there's no no need to change it at all. Okay. There, there's a place in our neck of the woods called uh, Pete's Hot Dogs, and it's like a it's oh, yeah. been around forever. It's my favorite hot dog joint. Mine too. And if you I go was there, there the other weekend, if, I, what's funny is like n- like newbies don't know it because they have a bunch of like you know number number one or number two. It's like a bunch of different you know style hot dogs or style chilies. Mm-hmm. But if you go in and say, "Give me a hot dog with everything," it's just uh, like it's must- a number four. It, it's, no, it's like it's like mustard. It's like mustard in onion or something and i i remember one time saying like why is that the everything there's like nothing on it and they said because back in the day that was the original and when Every, you said everything it, that's that what it, it was that's what you got yeah so a lot of those places have those cool like historical I, i'm a big things. fan of a number two there the uh the Me new too. york the new york onions <laughs> um yeah anyway we could go on for both for food forever but uh especially me yeah so you have some really, really good content on your Instagram uh, regarding combatives. So first off, before I get into this question, if there's anybody out there and they're listening and you're on Instagram, really, really go follow David. Uh, I really like your account. And I don't say that lightly. I follow a lot of accounts, but like yours is a really good account. And I say that because you go into the actual combatives. You actually show stuff. You give some cool ideas. And so- I found it very informative, not just entertaining. So I really, really appreciate that. Thank you. You're welcome. So if we were to take someone, we'll call them Bob, with zero skills, they know nothing, right? They don't. Yeah. They're they're like a uh, they're like my friend the the blob that can't defend yeah. himself, Keith. And we want to make them formidable, right? Like formidable assets what would the recipe be? And I'm going to sort of give some parameters, not parameters, but kind of just guidelines here. So like in my mind, I look at, there's a lot here. There's physical fitness, there's guns, there's blade work, there's grappling, there's striking, there's medical training. And that's just off the top of my head. There's probably some more, but what's the recipe? Where do we start these people off and where do we take them? That's a I mean, we can go down. The we, I know, I know. I could have done this for our second segment, but <laughs> we got time. So how much time do I have with them? Uh, that, we have months? to preface that. Like, <laughs> oh, to work with them. Do I have a day? Do I have an hour? Do I have the next 10 years? Like, what do I have? I mean, let's say the next 10 years, but like, you don't have to go into detail of every little like drill you would do, but like, what, where would you start? And then where would we, where would we end? Right? Yeah. So mindset first. Yep. Okay. Okay. Like, let, let me. It's very important. It, I know this is this is not uh, a visual <clears throat> podcast yet, um, but if if I can, let me try to create this image for you. Right. So, first and foremost, like if you guys can do me a favor, and I want you to imagine a pyramid. I want you to imagine a pyramid. Right. Like think of like an Egyptian pyramid. <laughs> right. I want you to break that pyramid into thirds. Right. So you have the bottom third. Uh, the middle third, and then you have the top third, the capstone, if you will, kind of thing. All right. So I'll break this down to you the best that I can. Uh, and the general, generally, the way I break this down in my classes is I, I refer to this as the three C's of performance. Right. So C number one, which is the most important thing. Imagine that C one is that first layer of this pyramid that we're building. Which, if you look at it based on height and width and depth and breadth, it's going to be the widest part. Right. The foundation is going to be. When we look at it just from an overall perspective, we looked at a 3D image, it's going to be the biggest component, right? The most mass. And that, C, that first C, right, to performance is going to be capacity, right? So think of capacity as two things. Think of it as, number one, first and foremost, mental capacity, as well as physical capacity, 
right? So the mental capacity side, and it's, it's a 50-50 on this. It's not one or the other, okay? It's a 50-50, right? Like how formidable can you be? Like, who would you guys say, like just real quick, who would you consider to be the most physical, like a straight up specimen? Physically speaking, from, uh, I mean, like, 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 uh, like an MMA like, fighter, like a John Jones comes to mind immediately. But mm-hmm. I mean, really, he's not just physically; his skill set is obviously very high. Okay, um, so let's say John Jones. Let's just go with that. All right, so John Jones. Let's say you have John Jones' physicality, his physical capacity. Okay. Next thing, how formidable is that individual, whoever this guy is, if he has? No mental fortitude, right? When when danger happens, when danger is uh, present, the dude runs mm-hmm. because he's yeah. mentally weak. What does that What does that matter? Right. All that physical prowl meant nothing. Now let's flip it. Mentally, who's like your idea of like the most mentally tough dude in the world? Who's a uh, violence of the mind? Oh, um, <clears throat> Varg Freeborn. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let, let's say, like, okay, let's let's imagine. Do you know, that do you know he, Varg? Like, do you know his story? I don't. Okay. Okay. He pretty crazy story, but go ahead. Imagine he's like, all right. So if he's the the most mentally tough dude in the world, Jared Reston also comes to mind. Yeah, he's another. How any of them? How formidable are they if they are quadriplegic, no physicality? Right. Yep. Would you fight him? Or like, think about that. So it, it's it's the the balance of both of those things. Now imagine this. Imagine. You have a dude, right, who is both of those personas, the physicality of John Jones and the mental capacity of the other gentleman that you referenced. Mm-hmm. Like how tough is that dude right off the bat, just from a right. mental and physical capacity? Right. And if you look at really your top performers in something like MMA, they have that other component, right? They're usually right. physical specimens and they have drive and work ethic and and they're you know mentally tough, right? That, that comes with the, the whole package. A hundred percent. Yeah. So now we've, we've laid the foundation, right? So in order to be uh, formidable, if you will, or just overall general preparedness, right? Because performance always parallels preparation. How, how do you, t- so we told the story a while back on the show about a guy I knew who he flat out, and I'll say it real quick. He flat out told me, Mike, if you put a gun next to me, he said, I cannot shoot for someone. I never could. I never would be able to. And I'm telling you, if you were bashing my head into the concrete, I would just, decide it was my time to go. I cannot harm another human. Now, whether that's true or not, and whether like in the moment he would change his mind is another story, but he was a very weak individual mentally. How do you yeah. change someone like that? So, how, And that, that's an extreme example, but like, you know, how do you change, get someone to be more mentally formidable? I think first off, we gotta have some of these discussions like what we're having right now, first and foremost, right? Like we have, we have to make it personal, but lay the foundational work for what mental toughness is and why it's important. Um, but the reality is like the individual is always going to have the choice. And like the reality is the individual has to choose. Like yeah, ultimately the, the desire right. is going to be the starting point of this achievement. Uh, because if they don't desire it, then nothing we do is going to change that. Yeah. You have like to, you if, have to want to make the change, right? You have yeah, to. Correct. They, they have to not want to be a victim. If they desire to be a victim, like you're going to be very hard pressed to change right. that. Right. Right. Okay, so we have the mental part down. We yep. So let's let's imagine that that C one capacity. Just imagine capacity being the foundation of this pyramid. Yep. We talk about capacity, mental, physical capacity, like we mentioned. The next component is uh, the second part, right? Which is competency, and we're going to build that competency 
on top of that foundation. And when I think competency, like just imagine your overall, like your competency as it relates to whatever skill set you want to be prepared for. Um, any whatever skill set you want to, uh, you know, skill set you want to perform at. So when it comes down to skill sets, it's a compilation of two things, hard and soft skills, right? There's a lot of guys that do really good at one side and then not so much at the other, but it's really the balance of both of those things, right? It's the hard and soft skills as it pertains to whatever it is generally that they want to be, right? So like if we're talking about it from a violence perspective, like you mentioned, how do we make a dude formidable? We have to ask ourselves, not just from a, uh, hard, most guys will focus on the hard skills, right? Like I want to learn how to throw a punch. Right. I want to learn how to throw a kick. I want to learn how to use a, a pistol. I want to learn how to use a blade and a carbine and da da, da 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 Like all that only gets you so far, right? Because the reality is that's, that's what, um, that's one necessary component. It's half the battle. The other half is the soft skills component, which makes and allows me to make good decisions. Right. Like the reality is if, if you are if you are a master of hard skills um, and you are failing on the soft skill side, it just means you're really going to be slow to make a good decision or fast to make a bad one. An example of that would be like uh, improving your OODA loop and things like that. Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely a component to it. Right. Like knowing uh, those little things. Right. Like uh, most guys refer to it in the, in the tactical community as like OODA loop. And I think that's been bastardized over the years, taken mm-hmm. out of context and just regurgitated yeah. and, and taught, you know, uh, devoid of the actual contextual parameters for which it was made. But, yeah, that's uh, that's definitely a component to it. Like, right. Understanding um, like having a deep like if we're going to talk about it from a violence perspective, having a deep understanding of the dynamics of violence. What is violence? You know, Um all the different components that, that define what violence is and then knowing when it's, you know, legally, ethically, morally right. Um, and then knowing where you stand on that, um, and then being able to actually do it. So before we move on to that third part of the pyramid, so now we're kind of talking about the, we've mentioned hard skills. And so with hard skills, again, my list, physical fitness, gun work, blade work, grappling, striking, all that stuff. Is there a place that you would say, this is where you should start, right? Like for me, I think, personally, and I'm not an expert in this and I need to improve this a little bit, but, and I'm working on it, but really <laughs> a lot of that stuff's great. But if you like, you can't even get up out of your fucking chair, you know what I mean? Like you, you gotta get some right. physical fitness, right? Like if you, if you can't even fucking walk from, from your couch to your, to your door, fucking you gotta start there. Right. And obviously there's levels and layers to everything, but for me, that's a big one. You know, we've heard that before. I think that physical fitness is often overlooked, but where, what is your sort of like ranking of those skills that I mentioned? Yeah. I mean, the physical fitness component that goes all the way back to like the capacity side on, yeah. on the foundation, because the reality is like, right. If the hardest thing you do all day is put a, a fork in your mouth. Right. And, and now some guy jumps in front of your face and he's got a blade in his hand he's, and he's fixing to stab you. Like your, your, your heart rate's going to skyrocket to 200 beats per second. Right. And like, can you, can you even support that? Are you gonna are you gonna go into cardiac arrest? <laughs> right? Like are you gonna pass out? Right. Um so it's so like everything else means nothing if you don't have that, right? Um so that that's just something and that's like think about it. Like your physicality, your physical fitness, your mental aptitude, your mental fortitude, that gets past every security checkpoint. Right? right. Like nobody like there's no scanner that says, oh, you're too fit to walk in here. Right. right? That's not that's not even a thing. Um, but most guys emphasize focus on, oh my goodness, I have to go here or there and I can't bring tools in. It's like number one, if you can't, then don't go there like do you really have to go there and if you do like what are you doing outside of being reliant on you know 
external tools, if you will, right? Like my, my, my fist is a tool. My forehand is a tool. Uh, my elbow is a tool. My forehead is a tool. Um, my, my knee, right? The instep of my foot. Um, all these things are tools, um, impact weapon, weapons, uh, you know, flexible weapons. When we start looking at things like that, we realize like um, we, we are uh, potentially, you know, human weapons. Yeah, of course. But yeah, I would start them there. Like that's got to have to be a discussion. But if you're like, hey, man, uh, I, you, you've got my daughter for the next hour. She's getting ready to go to college. Um, how do I make her the most you know, lethal version of herself within a two hour block? The first thing I'm probably going to work with her is, is on a blade. Um, like two hours, if she has no handgun skills, like it's going to be very difficult to make her um, an asset with that in regards to not making it, you know, not being a danger to herself. Right. Um, there's got to be some foundational work as far as far as being able to safely handle it. Um, it just takes longer, right? It's a longer train up time. Right. On a blade, we can generally do it a lot faster. Okay. Um, right. Like, and it also, it also offsets like the disparity in size, right? Depending on her size and stature, right? When we start dealing with like looking at um, smaller stature female, large stature dude, like there's a disparity in size. When we look at what force is, it's mass times acceleration, size matters. Right. That's why we have weight divisions right. uh, and, and so on and so forth. So um, by putting a tool in her hand, you make her uh, far more formidable uh, with the right training. Right. Not, right. It's not just, uh, again, the right training emphasize on right training. Right. I know. So I know you do martial arts and, you know, I, I train a little bit and it's I think it's a, a bit overplayed is the idea that like, you know, like you hear things like a puncher's always got a chance, right? Or you hear how like jujitsu was invented for a smaller guy to be able to deal with a bigger guy. <laughs> and like, yes, th those things are true, but, and, I, and I'm a smaller guy, Keith's a bigger guy, right? So I, I as a smaller guy, I love when people say like, oh, well, you know, you could train and you, well, yes, against a completely untrained person, I have a better chance if I have a skill set that that person doesn't have, but, if you go against someone who's 300 pounds, full of muscle, and you know six foot eight, you're gonna have a lot of trouble. You know what I mean? Like I don't care how much grappling Agreed. you have, right? But you know, and obviously the higher level you're grappling, the higher level you're striking, the the you can close that gap a bit, but within certain sort of parameters, right? And so, yeah, those skills are always good. It's always good to have them. But when you have an equalizer like a blade or a gun. You know, what is Sam Colt, you know, made all men equal, right? That's, yep. <laughs> that's the saying. So yeah. those things are, are, um, force multipliers for sure. Right. Absolutely. And then, so what's the last part of the, of the pyramid? So that's the first part, just to recap, that first part is obviously the mental and physical capacity. That second part would be the competency referencing our software, right? Like software specific to like whatever skill set, skill set bring broken down and compiled into two categories, your hard and soft skills in relation to what it is. And then the last thing uh, is, is capability, right? So you have capacity, competency, and the last being capability. Um, and capability is specifically referencing hardware. What mm -hmm. tools do you have, right? Like imagine I have the guy that you said, right? Like we're, we're creating this character, right? The guy we're creating, he's got John Jones physicality, the mental component or aspect of the other gentleman that you mentioned. And then the competency, uh, like high level of software, his skill set is, is, you know, vast in relation to hardwares and hardware, uh, hard skills and soft skills. And the last thing is that, that capability component where now we give him good, high quality, effective tool, like the right tools for the right job. Like, that, that, that dude is, uh, or, or dudette, whoever it is, is, is ready to rock and roll, man.
that's like the full component, like the full full pyramid of performance, if you will, right? Like they're ready to perform. But the reality is when we look at this nowadays, right? When I see this from a, just as a trainer, um, what I generally see is most dudes have this upside down. Most dudes, like the foundation of this pyramid is built on capability, right? Like they emphasize focus on buying all the cool tools, right? Like if I get this gadget or that gadget, it's going to make me 1% better here, right? Um, and their, their competency, like somewhere in the middle, if that, right? And then uh, their mental and physical capacity, like the hardest thing they do all day is put a fork in their mouth or get out of bed. Um, and then, you know, mentally, like they don't microdose adversity. They're not doing hard things on a regular basis that challenge their mind. Right. So how can you, cause you've talked a little bit about, um, not tonight necessarily, but some things I've read in the past that you talk about, you know, one of the driving factors of you wanting to help Americans be better prepared is to the fact that there's, you know, this, uh, um, there's so many people out there trying to do what you do. And some of them are really bad at it. <laughs> so yeah. how, how do you, how do you, how do people protect themselves from paying, you know, for that subpar training or, you know, can you tell us some things that maybe we should be on the lookout for when we're researching training partners? Um, it's tough, man. I right? know like, it's not, you can't yeah, see it on a website, right? No, it, it's tough. It really is. Like I've met dudes that have awesome resumes um, and, and pay good money to go to classes. And it was, story time. And obviously I never went back to that class, never paid that dude again. Right. Like would never do that again. Like, um, and I've met the exact opposite. I've, I've trained with guys that never have talked about a resume or what they did in their past life or current life or whatever. Uh, zero war stories, zero resume. It's like, Hey, today is, this is what we're focusing on. And they did an incredible job of explaining uh, the ins and outs of why everything they said was valid and held weight. Um, excellent communicators, excellent performers. Um, it, it's difficult, right? Like uh, there's a lot of snake oil in this industry, whether it's on the firearm side or on the combative side or on the preparedness side, right? The emergency preparedness side on the medical side, like there is fugazi stuff everywhere. Um, I just think if we as Americans, as a consumer, if you're going to be a consumer, just attack things logically and reasonably, right? Like um, pay attention, like don't, don't just go off of one thing, uh, like talk to people, right? Like I've had people uh, email me in reference to a class and I've called them and said, Hey, this is what the class is. This was about what, what questions do you have? Um, anybody that's not willing to do that. Uh, I, I question that. Um, it's just, you know, you got to ask questions. You got to ask people that are, you know, that you know that have taken that uh, training, so to say, um, do you like you would anything else, man? Uh, get a few quotes, talk, talk to a few people, ask around, Talk to the individual. Um, if they're not willing to give you the time to talk to you about it, maybe it's uh, it's not all typed up to be. Are there any good questions you think would be helpful to ask? <clears throat> I think it depends on what you're looking to train, right? Okay. Like so, um, when it when it comes down to hard skills, right? Like there's there's a myriad of them. Am I like who am I going like what specifically, right? Like am I looking for a physical fitness trainer, right? What's this dude's background? Um, does he work at the local Globo gym? He just got out of college and he's, you know, making $22 an hour trying to earn his way. Or is the guy, when I talk to the guy, it's like, oh yeah, he spent uh, the past 12 years uh, working with professional athletes, right? Like a lot of this is you get what you pay for. Um, 
you know, and, and, and look at it from that same approach. Like what, like how good is this individual? If you're paying for, uh, the specialist, like how special are they? What degree of professional, the professionalism, professionalism have they achieved? If I'm going to train with a martial artist, like what martial art are they good at? Like what martial arts have they studied? Are they the specialist in this one thing? Or is it the guy that's got 20 black belts and 20 <laughs> legitimate martial arts systems who's been doing martial arts for the past 40 something years, um, who can speak to a degree of truth across the spectrum of martial arts when I'm saying like, Hey, this is what I want to get ready for. Yeah. Okay. I don't have a, you know, it's tough to ask a specific question without having, um, a specific uh, reference point as far as who, who are we looking to train with? No, I, I, a a lot of people, a lot of people I think need to realize that, you have to sort of develop like your spidey senses. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, like if something doesn't seem right, it's probably not right. You know? And right. the other part of it is you, you want to work with people that people who have like people who have like a system, like, I don't know. I, well, I, I was going to, you know, I've asked that question a couple of times to a couple different trainers, yeah. you know, that we've had on. And I, I think what an important part is don't just stick with one trainer. Yeah, I agree. You know, um, and it's not that, you know, David, you're not awesome and that you don't do all the right things. But at some point in time, you know, if somebody took every one of your classes twice or three times, at some point in time, they might need something more. Right. And I think, you know, uh, like you partner with other trainers. I think those are good things. Like OFT around yeah. us, they they bring people in. and That's, uh, that's actually, my, I was going to say, my one sort of um, red flag Right. So I can give a couple examples Like you just mentioned, like one of our sponsors, friends, we train with them all the time on state firearms training. Uh, Ben's a great guy, but Ben will be the first to tell you that he trains with other people. Ben will be the first one to tell you he brings in other people. It's not like just Ben's m- model. Right. And yeah. uh, my jujitsu uh, coach, you know, he's he's good in his own right. You know, he's a he's a, he's a solid competitor. He's, you know, he, regionally speaking, he's very high level, but. Uh, we had open mat the other day and he was the first one to say, he's like, you guys want to go cross train at the gym over five miles on the road? Go, you know, like cross train, tell those guys to come over here. Like, let them come in and like, see what we're doing. Like if someone's like, don't go anywhere else, but here, that's a fucking major red flag in my eyes because good instructors aren't, um, so insecure that they don't want you to train with other instructors. Because if you're good, you'll come back, right? Like you'll go to that other guy and you'll go, man, I learned a whole bunch of stuff. Now I want to take your other course because I want to learn some more skills from you as well, right? So I, that's always for me as a red flag as instructors who are like, don't go to anybody but me. Yeah. So Yeah, and, like, and that's not to be confused with, because uh, I agree with that, right? Like um, go, go and do it. Um, I think it's important to train with somebody who's still a student. I think your, yes. your relevancy yep. as a coach is relevant, uh, you know, as relevant as, you know, it correlates directly to your relevancy as in, an athlete, if you will. Yes. Right. Like I agree. If you're teaching shooting, you should be a student of shooting. Yeah. If you're teaching yeah. martial arts, you should still be a student of martial arts. Yeah, it, right? that, that's a, that's uh, a big thing in the aviation world. You know, pilots, they'll, uh, any good pilot will always tell you they're always learning. Yeah. And it's, it's yeah. the, it's the, same it's, it's the growth, it's the growth mindset versus fixed mindset sort of mentality. And, you know, yeah. we, we could go on this down this for forever. Uh, I want to move on to a couple other segments here, but before we do tell everyone where they can find you online. Oh yeah. It's uh, so the website's allegiance 
defensesolutions.com. And then generally most content is just done via Instagram, david.acosta.junior. I have both those links in our show notes and uh, we're going to get you to running gun. But before we do, let's talk about Ridgeline Defense. Ridgeline is one of the nation's premier training facilities and offers programs based on proven tactics and real world experience. Their highly trained staff specializes in pistol, carbine, precision rifle, breaching, sniper operations, and low visibility, low visibility force protection. If you're looking to take your skills to the next level, you've found your new training partner, check them out at ridgelineshooting.com. Uh, and Alex and, and the crew there, you know, they have an awesome facility. And uh, speaking of training, you know, like they, they offer a lot of great stuff and uh, highly recommended from a lot of people that I've, uh, that I've actually uh, spoken to. Do you know those guys? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, Alex Hartman uh, obviously runs Ridgeline and um, uh, I've trained there several times, a couple to be exact. And then uh, I've trained with Alex. <laughs> so Alex uh, Hartman. And Joe Volkett were my initial sniper school instructors okay. Uh, okay. on the law enforcement side. So, By the way, it always makes me laugh because, like, you know, obviously yeah. we have sponsors of the show. And, uh, you know, from people listening out there, I think I've said this before, I'm very picky. Like, I won't just work with anybody. Like, I kind of have to, like, feel like a good – like, I have a good vibe. But it always makes me feel good when someone comes on and they've heard of that person and they're yeah. like, yeah, they're, like, they're good. Because I didn't I didn't ask you to say that. Like, that, that was impromptu. So thank you for yeah, <laughs> vouching. Yeah. Alex, Rudy – Blake, JP, like all those guys are awesome, man. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, man. Thank you for that. So anyway, so we're going to do run and gun. This is timed, and it is 10 rapid-fire questions. Um, I would just give you the only advice is say the first thing that comes to your mind. Check. All right. Here we go. Number one, what is your favorite gun in your personal collection? Uh, Glock 19. What gun would you buy if money was no object? Probably a... Uh Staccato, it's all tricked out, race gun. If you could have a drink with one person, living or dead, who would it be? Oof. Jesus Christ. Favorite caliber? Nine millimeter. Favorite hobby, not gun related? Martial arts. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Invisibility. All hell breaks loose. Is it better to be armed or trained? Trained. Is it better to be loved or feared? Loved. Rifle, pistol, or shotgun? Pistol. You're in the worst scenario imaginable. Who do you want to have your back other than your spouse? Bill Rapier. Let's mix it up! What are we looking at? Not bad. Uh, just above, just beat out Alex Hartman. Oh, shit. <laughs> 52, 52.73, and uh, Alex was uh, 52.73. All right, there we I'm go. I'm sorry, 55.4. I apologize. <laughs> All right, I there you go. I backed up a little bit. All right, so Let's Mix It Up is brought to us by Flatline Fiberco. Flatline makes everything from slings to dump pouches to their brand new IFAC pouch. We recently did a thorough review of their IFAC, and we were super impressed. It carries everything you need in a small and manageable size. I highly recommend checking out all their handmade products at flatlinefiberco.com. Um, I mean, we've been with Chad for a long time. I mean, he's an awesome guy, awesome company. Uh, if you want to get an even better deal, make sure to use our discount code GUNEXPERIMENT10 at checkout to get 10% off. And uh, go check out their stuff. It's, it's awesome stuff, and I highly recommend it. All right, so we're going to take a deep dive on home defense preparations and trainings. And I have to say, this is something near and dear to my heart. Uh, when I 
was a kid growing up. We never had an alarm system. Uh, my dad was a gun owner, but I don't think he was like the kind of gun owner that like had like a, you know, he probably had a gun like tucked up in like a nightstand somewhere. <laughs> it was, it was the, the, the different days back in the eighties and nineties. But, um, <clears throat> uh, becoming a homeowner, my wife was like, I think we should have a, an alarm system. And I was kind of like, ah, we don't need an alarm system. You know, I'm like, we, we don't need an alarm system. We're fine. I didn't have one growing up, but I got one. And that started what we refer to on the show as the onion. And so <laughs> the onion, David, is what I refer to my house because I like my security and layers. And you, when I was looking through your coursework, you uh, offer an awesome course on home defense training. And you're probably one of the few instructors I've ever seen that actually offers something like this. So I do want to talk about the, the course a little bit, but I want to talk about how people can go about sort of creating their onion. So I'm yeah. going to kind of give you the mic and let you kind of just go with it. Right on. Yeah. So I think the simple thing to do, and this is something that I just got hit with all the time and saw this all the time. Like, you know, I, I did home invasions for a good stint, <laughs> like legally. And uh, I have a, a good idea from the opposition side of what it is to get inside people's houses. Okay. Um, so a lot of it was built from that perspective. Uh, most people emphasize focus on home defense with the intent of like, they, we say home defense and immediately what pops into everyone's mind is like the nightstand gun. Right. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, or the, like the, the mini rifle or the shotgun thing. It's like, my goodness, that is like the last thing we need. Right. <laughs> it's the last part. That's the inner part of the onion it's, for sure. It's, that's the spicy yeah, part of like, the oven. They are focusing on like, if we're going to look at this onion, like let's take an onion, cut it in half. Or what we see is concentric rings. Right? Yep. And those concentric rings essentially look Right or look to um, essentially establish and symbolize layers uh, based on proximity. Right, so um, we want to start with the outermost ring, and the outermost ring. The way I teach it is how I reference or how I reference it when I teach it is generally six D's. Right, and the six D's um, that talk about just overall uh, risk. Okay, um, and that that first D, right. Think of the outermost layer of the onion. Um, and D number one would be the way I teach it, deter, right? A lot of people are like, the first thing you need to know is situational awareness. It's like, dude, you can't pay attention to everything all the time. Yeah. You just can't. You're, right? sleeping, like, you're, sleep, you're sleeping at night, like sound asleep. Like you're not yeah. situationally aware at all. Yeah, exactly. So I think the first thing is being like, let's make our home a good deterrent. So if, if so, how do we make it look on the outside? difficult, um, like a difficult target, right? So like when these dudes pull up and they're about to do this home invasion or burglarize my house, right? They look at it and they're like, wow, uh, let's skip that one. Like, it's just too much work. Like the, the odds of us pulling this off without getting caught is just improbable. So let's go to the neighbor's house, right? Like, so what can we do to make our house, uh, more of a deterrent against that? Right. Okay. So stop you really quick. There's, okay. Stop really yeah. quick. So the first thing you should do is move next to someone who has terrible tactics and, <laughs> and ideas because they'll go to their house, right? That's the, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, it's like the turn number one, right? It's not cameras. The turn number one is like, how about you move to a location? That's a low crime area. That's awesome. Yeah. Like stay outside of a Metroplex, like, it, like be 20 miles away from any major city. Right? Like when we look at like where crime happens, where bad things happen, 
Like if like possibility, it's always possible. Uh, probability, like you run a higher probability of being a victim yep. of violent crime when you yep. live inside of a metro. Got to play the statistics game on that one. Yeah, I mean, why not? Right? It's, yep. it's data. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, that's like like first D. One aspect. Yeah, first portion of deterring is like pick a location. Right. So let's be uh, cognizant of that. Now, granted, like not everybody can just up and move tomorrow. Um, what's the next thing we can do? How about just like basic cameras, right? And the way I like cameras set up, I like uh, visually deterrent cameras that are uh, visible. Like it's not the hidden thing that people can't see. Like I want the dudes to see cameras all over my house, right? So it's like, wow, number one, even if they don't work well, right? It tells people like, hey, like they are, you know, security savvy. They're yeah. hip to it. Like they're paying attention to their security. They're dialed um, in a bit, right? Right. Um, you know, I like, I like having them on every corner, uh, facing both directions. So there's overlapping layers. Uh, I like having them high enough that somebody can't simply knock it off with a bat or a broom. Right. Um, somebody can't simply walk up to it and spray paint it, like make it high enough that you get a good bird's eye view of what's going on there. Um, ample lighting is huge, right? Like bad things happen in the dark, right? So have good lighting, lighting that just not lights the house from the front, but from offset toward the house, facing the house. Now, um, let me, are you talking more lighting on the outside of the house versus on the inside? Because when I am going to bed at night, I like my house dark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So do they. <laughs> well, so well, I figure right, they like, can't I, see in like, the dark yeah. either. I mean, they're not coming in with nods. I mean, I, I really did like breaking into people's houses when there's no lights on. Right. Like, well, so because you had nods. Well, no, I mean, there's times that we, that's just not feasible. Um, when I, when I built my house, um, I was yeah. like, you know, I said to my wife, I really want to kind of make this place. Like I, I want to have some stuff here that like, you know, makes it, makes us more prepared. And so one thing yeah. I had put in was lighting, uh, like at the front porch, obviously you know, you have like lights on the front porch. Right. And then I had a light put on the back and near my bedroom, I have switches that I can activate them from my bedroom basically. Right. So like if I bump in the night, I can hit these switches and like light up the front door and light up the backyard. Uh, the one problem was the builder put a light on that takes forever to warm up on the back. So it it didn't work out very well for (laughs) me. That's easily fixed. Yeah. It's it's easily fixable, but that was the one problem. But, um, what do you recommend for people like, like motion lights? Is that what you're, you're kind of talking about? So like exterior interior lighting, right? Like, so like, uh, let's talk about exterior lighting first, right? Like the cameras, the cameras only work so well. Um, and if the lighting deters a dude from walking up on my yard, that's a good thing. Yep. Right. Um, so if the lighting is keeping them at bay by not even entering my property or getting on the premise, that's a good thing. Um, having some type of fencing or wiring or wall, so uh, uh, some type of a barrier is huge, right? Um, having dogs is huge. Like just the mere fact that the dogs are barking. Right. And, and you know, grab a dog that's going to bark. Like don't, don't buy a dog. Like, I, I own a pit bull. Um, he's a phenomenal family dog. Incredible. He don't bark at people. <laughs> like yeah, he, he dog, loves yeah. everyone. Um, you know, he looks like a deterrent, but the reality is like anybody would call his bluff. Yeah. Um, so, you know, a dog that's going to bark, uh, those little chihuahuas are, man, I can't stand those things because they bark at every little thing. Right. But that's, again, uh, that's a good thing. So, Having those things on the exterior, right? Interior-wise, right? I mean, as far as lighting on the interior. Lighting on the interior, it's really dealer's choice, right? Like, I don't like interior lighting. I don't like all the lights on at night. 
um, if it gives the opposition the ability to see what's going on right. you know, inside the house from the outside. Now, if you've got those tinted windows that don't allow people to see on the inside when it's dark, dude, like that sucks when you break into somebody's house and all the lights are on. Like you don't, you don't have as much of an element of surprise if you're trying to be um, quiet and sneaky. Okay. Um, think about it. If you're the opposition, let's imagine you got to break into somebody's house. Do you want the lights on in their house or off? Off. Oh, I mean, on. Sorry, you want them on. They want them off. If, I, if, yeah, if I'm the bad guy, like I want your lights off. It's right. easier for me to move around in the dark. Right. right? And um, one, one suggestion, because Keith, you said, you know, and I get it. Like some of this stuff is like you have to find a balance of like your normal normalcy and living kind of stuff. Right. And so Keith, you said you like your house dark. So what I do is I have uh, timers, like my outside lights. I have timers on like some of my inside lights. And so what we've kind of struck a happy medium is we have them on and then they go off at, I'm not going to say on the air, but they go off at a certain time where I'm like, all right, like, yeah, someone could come after this, but most people, if they're staking out a player looking. Well, I just feel of, like if you can't see it, if you have a heart, like none of us can see in the dark, mm-hmm. you know, like. Yeah, I, but is that ever really pitch black in the house? N- no, it's not ever. I mean, my house is. Yeah, there's generally dark. some type of ambient lighting that yeah. allows yeah. you to see a little bit. You yeah. Know? Just enough to be but, able to But move. they, but I would still, and again, I mean, I'm just challenging here a little bit. I feel like I'm better suited to walk around and know my house in the dark than somebody who just without walked in the dark. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, but it assumes a lot, right? Like who's the opposition? Sure. Who's your opposition? Is your well, opposition the Hopefully local, it's not Mike. You know, <laughs> but, but like most people, when they think about it, like when, when they, like, and it's like when I tell people like, hey, what's the fight you're preparing for in your mind? Like I'm not preparing for the drunk dude who randomly broke into my house. Like that's right. an easy fight. Yeah, like that's 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 an easy fight. Who is a formidable dude? Right. What's well, going to make his you know you know like think about it that way? What's going to make it more difficult for that? that dude? That's a good that's a good way to look. Yeah. At it. One of one of the things that I always say, and you haven't gotten to this, and maybe you won't get to it, but you know, I talked about the alarm system, and I always say like the alarm system it has a couple of it has a couple of different dynamics. One best case scenario, it goes off, and you know the 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 evildoer is like shit like like you said there's there's a better house to go to than this one right that's one maybe they just run off two that's my early warning system like that's how that's what's going to wake me up and go shit something's wrong like you know what's going on here and kind of put me into a mode to sort of make decision you know decision making skills so in an ideal world it scares them away but it also is kind of a, like that layer that's notifying me something is wrong and the dog is the, obviously the other one that kind of adds that component to it well, a lot of these things overlap right so like right. d number two is detect the cameras help with detecting the dog helps with detecting the lights help with detecting they also act as deterrents though uh, which is why i like emphasizing focus on those things first yep um interior lighting that can act as a deterrent it's like, oh, the lights are on. They're awake. Right. Or the lights are on. Like, I'm not going to be able to move around in there without anybody seeing me. People on the outside of the house are going to see me moving around inside this house from the exterior. Right. Because the lights are on. Right. So these are all little things. Where does staging, you know, staging weapons maybe even come into play? Oh, we'll get to that. Okay. That's a definitely a thing. Um, so uh, the other side of the deterrent side, like most people don't like it, but like putting bars on doors and windows and having gates. Um yeah, I'm not going that far, but you could also you could also get beefed up hardware. Yeah, there's all the so you have the gates that just acts as a uh, as a deterrent. 
the beefed up hardware can act as a turn after it's already happening and right. realize like, Hey, I'm six kicks in and I'm not getting in. Right. Right. Um, so that could be a deterrent, but it's kind of like they've already started. Yep. You know? Right. So what's but, their level of commitment? What's the, you know, like, but it is going to make a lot of noise, which is right. going to give bring you more time, attraction, give you more time, right. possibly stop them or slow them down. So there is some benefit there. Sure. And that's an easy thing that anybody can do. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, not even, even if it's not a, uh, you know, one act, one aspect of being a deterrent is, is uh, the film, right? Like they have yeah. that mirrored film that adds a glaze to the, the oh yeah to the, the external uh, windows on the, the windows. Screen. It the is pricey floor. though, right? I think that's a pr- it pretty can pricey. Be extremely pricey depending on what model, what brand you're buying. Like some of them have like an actual, uh, you know, like they're like you've got to like they're not like it makes it almost shatterproof. Yeah, like it'll break. Yep. Um, almost some of them are almost project. You know, Lumar is Lumar is one one brand that I know has a really good product out there, and you can do just the windows that people could get through. You don't have to do every single window. Bottom bottom first floor, yeah. Do the first layer, you know, the first floor, so to say. But then it also makes it it again acts as a deterrent because now I can't see inside. Right. So it's one more thing. It's like, man, I can't even see if I can't even see what that inside layout looks like. Right. I don't even know if the lights are on or off. Right. Like I can't see inside. It's again, it's one more deterrent but also acts as a form of detection because now instead of them breaking the window with a single punch kick or rock, it's, it's, it's six kicks in and like five uh, hammer swings later, which by then you should be awake and realizing something's going on. Right. Right. Um, and the detection side, a lot of things all, all go into the detection side. There's more things on the deter side. We can go into it extensively, but um, for the sake of brevity, detecting, like obviously we talked about the cameras, right? Having the cameras is one thing. Having them have access to making notifications is another, right? Can it differentiate the, the can the camera differentiate the movement of a squirrel on your front lawn versus a man-sized, um, you know, figure moving along your front your line, uh, front yard or at your your door? Um, detecting another aspect of detecting, like a lot of guys put up the cameras nice and high. I think it's also important to have cameras that are eye, eye level that are not visible to an you know to someone on the outside for the purpose of facial recognition. Right. Um, in the event that they're not wearing a, a mask that completely covers their face. Um, I think that's important. Having the microphones on the cameras are important. Right. Uh, having a security system so that when, um, you know, like the security system, as, as far as picking up motion uh, in specific parts of the, of the yard that notifies you like, hey, back left, whatever, however you label it and how far out you label it. Like there's it, it can again, depending on how much money you have and how much you want to invest into this, you can get pretty savvy with it. Um, mm-hmm. And that's on the detection side. Uh, obviously the dog, like we talked about, like all those little things, um, you know, they have those motion sensors that make noises like that don't necessarily have cameras. There's all types of wild stuff on the deny side. Like the deny side goes right into like hardware. How are we beefing up the door? What are we changing out as far as are you running? Like when you installed your door and the new uh, knob, so to say, like what hardware is mounting the, the, the hardware, what hardware, what length, size of so the screws are you, that you're bolting, the locking mechanism and uh, the bolt to, like, is that all done with like five inch screws going deep into the studs or like little two and a half inch screws? It's crazy. Like right? a regular door comes with literally like, it, it's the smallest Baby screw. Screws. They're so small. <laughs> it's, it's cosmetic. Yeah. It's not intended to prevent uh, somebody from kicking in the door. Yep. For sure. Um, putting simple, something as, I mean, goodness gracious, putting something as simple as like a two by four across the door, or they've got a bunch of different new designs now that you can stick stuff underneath that acts as a wedge to keep the door. Um, you know, it's just, it, 
again, the guy that's trained isn't necessarily not going to get through. Right. It's just how much time is it going to take? Right. Yeah. Like everything is about slowing, it. slowing people down. That's the big thing. For sure. So um, that's on the denial side. Right. Um, and then the real, the reality is like denying, like you're really not going to deny access. You're really just delaying it. Right. Right. Like anybody that understands, like anybody that has done basic breaching work understands like the principles of breaching. And when we look at it from a principles based approach, it's nothing more than push, pull, spread, cut, shoot, burn, and blast. <laughs> right. And you can, you can get into like sliding locks and things of that nature on the covert side, but if we're looking at about that way, like those are the principles and then all the different, you know, tools and techniques that we use are built around supporting those principles. Right. Um, so you realize like the reality is if somebody wants to get in, all you're doing is delaying it. You're just delaying it. Right. right. Like who's coming into the house. Right. Are, are they using explosive charges? Because and, they're getting in. And, and obviously like stati- we talked about statistics, yeah, probability and- st- statistically speaking, you know, most break-ins are burglaries, people looking for a quick, you know, score, get some money for drugs that like, there's a lot of statistics out there. You're obviously going, your experience obviously plays into this. You're going to the, you know, ultimate degree here, but I'm always a fan of you prepare for the worst, right? Like that's, if you can, you prepare for the worst. Yeah, I think it's just having a realistic approach. Like, I think some people, like, they just don't know. So they're like, oh, nobody's getting in here. It's like, yeah, right. if you give a dude enough time and enough right. time, like, he's getting in. Right. So that's why I say it for that reason. Yep. Right? Like, and if you're doing a consultation with, like, high-level executives or celebrities, like, these are things you have to discuss. Right. Yep. Um, um, so a lot of those things act as a delay feature. Right. What can we do to delay this or delay that? And it overlaps that. Um, and then getting right into, like, uh, the defend mode. Right. Like defend mode, like being like, what do you have as, and that could be like, yes, like what tools are you bringing to bear, you know, in your house? Right. Like most guys automatically start thinking firearms. Well, I've got the shotgun. And when he hears me, (laughs) you know, it's like, my goodness, shut your mouth. (laughs) Um, That's like more of a de-escalation thing, but that's, you're, you're supposing that's going to stop a guy. Right. Right. Again, who in your mind are you, who is your opposition? Right. Like the formidable dude who's willing to kill you. Um, while he dies in, 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 you know, in in imposing his will in this altercation, like you're not going to deter him. And you're assuming people are right in the mind, right? Like if somebody's like hopped up on PCP, like Mm -hmm. you, you you can't, you can't count on that person being rational and sane and all that stuff. I always want to count on him trying to die, uh, in support of imposing his will over mine. Like that's who my form, like that's who my foe is. Right. Like if he's less than that, then I was given a gift and I didn't need as much training as I have. Right. Uh, but I always want to assume like that dude is uh, my evil clone, if that makes sense. Right. Okay. Um, and then on the, so like on the defense side, like our firearms a thing. Absolutely. But before you even put the emphasis on the firearms thing, like what have we done as far as a family strategy plan? Like what are the plans that we have put in place? Have you ever done a 911 call? Once you, I, like, do you even know how to communicate with I them? actually have, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, was, it was not my choice. It was a false alarm, but I, I had to go through <laughs> my, my plan. So yes, I've done it. So so was there a train up prior to that though? Or was that like on the job training? It was a discussion my wife and I had had. So we we had had a discussion. Uh, we've, we've had a, we've had a handful of false alarms where like wind hit a door, you know, a door wasn't closed properly before we went to bed a garage door is what I'm speaking of. And when the wind would hit the garage door outside, it would push the inside garage door and, and kick the alarm. And 
a lot of times we had had like, you know, basic like, oh, it's the garage door kind of a thing. And I, I kind of knew what it was, but we had a faulty basement alarm go off. And I was like, my wife, I was like, see, this isn't right. You know, I was like, Something, something's not right here. I was like, go, go and go full mode. And we went full mode. You know, we, 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 we called 911. She mobilized. She got the kids in one room. Started the call signs. I got the gun. I stood at the top of the stairs. She gave my description to the police so that they knew that I had a gun, the whole nine yards. I mean, I'm kind of yeah. doing it for brevity, but we went into our plan that we had discussed went, went full bore. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. And it's important to talk about that before it actually happens, right? Like, let's plan this out and do it before it actually happens. Like when we call 911, what is the order of the information that we give, right? Like I always tell people, when you call 911, the first thing, if you only had five seconds to talk, what would, the most important piece of information you could possibly give out is what? That you have an location. incident, yeah, location yeah. where you're at. Location, yeah. right? Yep. The very first thing, if you're going to cut off, get cut off in three seconds from now, at least, if nothing else, give out your exact location. Hmm. Yeah. Right? Um, number one. So where I am, who I am, what I have, right, and what I need. <laughs> Think about it that way. Yeah. Um, whether it's an active shooter event or whether it's a home invasion or a motor vehicle accident, no, it doesn't matter what it is, but that's just, you're, we're kind of prioritizing the information. Most important to least important. Is house clearing sort of like you deter at all costs? So like, as far as like, you're talking about like a, a air quotes here, CQB thing? Yeah, like in other words, actually moving throughout your moving house. You know what I mean? Like when I say clearing, like actually like leaving. So I'll, I'll give a little bit of my my situation. Like we're, we all are on the top floor. That was somewhat by design. I wanted everyone on the same floor. And... Um, I have quote unquote, I'm just gonna say I've moved throughout my house. Typically it's when I have deduced that I don't think someone's in the home. And before I can actually put my head back on the pillow, I want to make sure that there's no one in the home, but I, I'm not a proponent of, Hey, there's some, I think there might be someone in my house. Let me go walk around and find out. I'm a bigger proponent of let them come to me. Um, again, if I think there's a false alarm and, you know, we've had a faulty sensor and it hasn't been fixed yet or whatever, and I don't hear any rumblings, I don't hear any movement, I hear nothing, I might sometimes walk throughout my house and just say, hey, I, I walked the entire house. There's no one in here. We can go back to bed. Um, which, by the way, if you've ever had an alarm go off and you're going to go back to bed, it's a little unnerving. <laughs> it's yeah. There's a little piece of you that's like, man, should I be going to bed right now? <laughs> but anyway, uh, go ahead. Yeah, no, to that, I would say, like, first off, like, if there's any doubt, there is no doubt. Trust your gut. Like, what do you lose by getting up, getting out of bed, and assuming that somebody's potentially in your house? If nothing else, you got a really good rep. Right. Right? If it's just, it, maybe it's just maybe it's just a practice rep. That's, take it. Right? Um, but what do you stand to lose if you second-guess yourself? With the right. time that it takes to sit there and, like, wait, did I hear what I just did? Was that actually? And then you, you elbow your wife, like, hey, did you hear something? Like, all that time that you're taking – Doubting your, your initial, like if there's any doubt, there is no doubt. Trust your gut and just go. Right. Play this, like you lose, like what do you stand, like you, you're going to lose a little bit of sleep. You're going to be, uh, you know, you're, you're going to be uncomfortable for a minute. Like who cares, right? Like um, you're going to be inconvenienced a little bit of sleep. So I would err on the side of caution. Right. Um, with that. Having said that, as far as moving through the house, like I think it's a, like, uh, why not have cameras on the inside? Like there's ways to control it so that the, the cameras are hardwired to a specific room that you have access to. So it's not a, a Wi-Fi setup where somebody has access to it externally. 
Um, and you can see every single room in your house and you can know for a degree of certainty whether or not somebody is actually moving in your house or not. Mm -hmm. Having lighting in the house, right? If you're, if you're the guy that doesn't have the lighting on or off, having a master switch, so I can turn all the lights on instantly, right? Or turning them all off instantly is also the other option. So now I turn all the lights off and now each room has motion cameras. So now as someone moves through the house, like I know those cameras only go off one way or those lights only go off one way which means it detected motion. If everyone in my house is accounted for, then there's another person or something, there's another entity in this home, mm-hmm. right? That is uh, That doesn't belong here. Right. Um, so those are all the things in, in relation to that. As far as being armed, like that's that's a, a thing. Like obviously you need to know like the legalities of that based on where you live. Yep. Have the moral uh, implications already preset and know like this is what it's going to take. Here's my line in the sand. Here's my go, no go. Here's the parameters of that. What does that look like? And then can I actually do it? Like, do you own that hard skill? And so um, now th- this is a very controversial topic. Um, I have my own beliefs in it and I'm sure they differ from other people's. Uh, some people carry a gun on them every day, everywhere in their home, you know, aside from going to bed. Um, yeah. Some people do not. Um you can say how you feel about that or not say, I don't, you know, that's fine. That's up to you. But, um, if people, obviously if you, if you choose to carry with you, then that's, that's your answer. If you choose not to carry, what are some ways to sort of at least prepare yourself if you're not going to carry inside your home everywhere all the time? Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's right. So for me, I, I, uh, when I get up in the morning and I get dressed, I put my tools on simple as that. Um, all the guys that I run with, um, the men that I, you know, my peers, um, they're the same mindset, right? Like when we put on our pants, uh, we get dressed for the day, our, our tools go on us with them, uh, with us. And that's whether I'm mowing the lawn, that's whether I'm cooking, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. Like until I go to bed, my tools don't come off. Um, and then when they do, they're still within proximity. Um, now, for instance, uh, does that mean that I expect my wife to do the exact same? Maybe one day, right? Like, um, what I'm going to tell you and your family to do is, is, is on you guys, right? Like, um, what I would say is like, I like, I don't like the idea of most people. They're like, Hey, uh, I've got a safe and it's got this really cool quick release thing. It's <laughs> like, all right, cool. When this dude kicks in your door, where are you? Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm over here. Okay. How long does it take you to get to your safe? The, uh, the only thing I would argue you, with so that. You've never actually done it, right? Like you've never actually done it. No. Well, how much time do you think it would take? Uh, okay. Now add the actual stress of a dude just kicking your door. Right. Now, has that ever happened to you? No. So is your, like mentally, are you even prepared for this? Like, is your instinct going to be to go run to the safe or are you going to go run, check out the door and be like, Hey, what the heck is going on here? Right. So like, I don't like the idea of having to run to a specific location where everything's at. Okay. I think it's much easier, much more practical to have, um, you know, tools in every room. Are they openly displayed so anybody can see them? Obviously not. Right. Um, but like, think about it. If there's a tool in every single room, it doesn't matter what door you kick in. Right. Even if I didn't have a tool on me, it's within arm's reach. So I, I'm, I, in practicality or in, sorry, in theory, in theory, I love the idea of like, I put a gun on me and I just, it's with me all. I just, I've never been able to be that guy. Um, it's not, not because I don't think it's a great idea. It's not that I don't, you know, it's just like when I'm home, I just, I need to be like, like when I'm rolling around my kids wrestling or my, my son jumps on me, I've had a gun on me. And I'm like, I hate the idea. My son just jumped to my lap and I got a gun on me. Like, I just don't like that feeling. You know what I mean? Like 
if I'm mowing the lawn, like you said, yeah. it's freaking hot as balls out. I'm sweating. <laughs> like the last thing I want to do is have a gun on me. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it's just, it, I've tried. I can't. Um, what's the the next best scenario? Is just having one in reach nearby at all times. I mean, I, I guess that's what I was. I don't know. I can't speak to that. Yeah, I'm not that dude. Yeah. Um, for me, it's my level of willingness, right? Like willingness wise, like I'm like, what do I say to lose, right? So if I don't, and this thing happens, right? Like if we're going to talk about this, really, like let's talk about it. Like let's break it down. Yep. And what it's and by, and by the way, I'm being right? not not hypocritical, but no, it's exactly it's, what I, it's what I said earlier of. You know, um, you, if something happened, you want to be able to say that you did everything possible, right? Like, so that what you're saying is hundred percent true to what I had said earlier, which is if something goes wrong and God forbid you couldn't save the day, at least you can say, Hey, I did everything I possibly could where I yeah. have chosen to go the opposite route on this particular topic. Right. So yeah. go ahead. I, I think it's it, like the, in, in the way we like, so the way we break this down in, in SIOC, right, is in, in reference to the SIOC readiness formula. And the readiness formula um, is, is, is specifically in reference to like SIOC LOT on, on readiness and preparedness and, and what you want to be ready for. And like to put it into context of what we're discussing here with what you're saying, it's like the readiness formula, right, the SIOC readiness formula uh, stands on three legs, awareness, preparedness, and willingness, right? Awareness, willingness, and preparedness, right? And, the, and it's the compilation of these three things overlapped that determines your overall readiness, okay? All three attributes need to be present in order for you to be even considered ready. So um, awareness, right? The first component of this, if we're, if we're talking about home defense, are you ready for you, know, for you to be able to defend your home? First thing foremost, like what's your level of awareness in relation to what home defense looks like, right? The next thing is in, in consideration of being aware of what this thing is. And now that you're aware of all that it entails, are you willing, right? To what extent are you willing, right? To do this. Now that you understand all the, like if I want to be 100% ready to defend my, my, my family, myself in my home, am I aware of all these things that we kind of just discussed? And you know, also the things that we didn't for the sake of brevity. Am I aware of all these things? Can I be truly aware of all these things? You're only going to be aware to a certain extent, but to the extent that you are knowledgeable on right here, right now that you're aware of, are you willing to pursue that? Are you willing to do those things? Right. You understand the second and third order effects of those things, right? Mm -hmm. The next thing is, okay, now are you, yeah, you're like, yes, I'm aware of it. Yes, I'm willing to do what it takes to be ready. The next thing is, okay, are you now actually prepared? Like, are you actually walking out, uh, walking it out on a day to day? Right. Are you actually uh, committed to doing it? Are you walking the walk? Are you on the path? Are you doing all these things that we're talking about? Are you? And and I will say this because of what you just sort of said in that last part. And that is that I wasn't always even this version of this guy. You know what I mean? Like there was a point where I had no jujitsu training. There was a point where I had, you know, I had, I had no security. I mean, I lived in a house before this house. I had no security in it. There was a, a version of me that had a gun, but never carried a gun. So like, you know, to your point, I, I think that we're ever evolving sort of creatures. Right. And so as we, sure. as we kind of uh, go down this path, I mean, the name of the show is the gun experiment. And the reason for that is because we experiment with these concepts and, and people like you. And, you know, so with that said, you know, uh, David, I, I want to thank you for, 
coming on the show. And I want you, want to thank you for sharing your story with us and, uh, you know, all the insight that you have on how to become a more capable human. So thank you so much for all of that. And as far as the home defense goes, home defense is something that, in my opinion, is very, very important, especially when you have a family and you have others that you're in, in uh, are in your charge. So that's something that's unique to every person's individual situation. And you have given some serious food for thought on all of that. And in fact, probably one, done one of the best breakdowns uh, I've ever had on this show. And I've asked that question to other people. So I really appreciate how thorough you were with all of that uh, and the thoughtfulness you put into that uh, home defense situation stuff. Well, thank you, sir. Of course. To everyone listening, we want to thank you again for taking time out of your day to tune into our show. You can find links in the show notes to all of our social media. So be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Discord so we can keep the conversation going.